All right, there we go. Okay. Well, good evening, Hope Ottawa. I'm really excited to be able to bring God's work, word to you tonight. In Matthew 11, 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Put your... Is it just me, or is that something that we all really desperately want? Put your hands up if you struggle to find rest on a regular basis. Keep them up if you come in here feeling tired, or you wake up in the morning feeling tired, even after a full night's sleep. But many of your hands went up, and it doesn't surprise me. When I'm speaking with people at my job or with friends or people in our church, it just seems like we are all so busy. Whether it is building our careers, wanting to help as much as possible in other people's lives or serving others, or even just making sure that we don't miss out on a single thing ever. We all are just so busy. We are just so restless. We live in a culture that is so consumed with getting things done that it's become a status symbol. Yet what is interesting is that a lot of times the recommendations I get for books from many people is actually about how to rest, how to take time off. What it shows is that while we want rest, we want to have a life that we can enjoy that doesn't take up all our need, it doesn't exhaust us. We have a problem, and that is our inability to rest. Our inability to rest through our own efforts as God intended. And here is, here's the key. Whether or not we realize it, we all want to have that rest. The rest where we can wake up feeling refreshed and at peace. So how do we truly rest? We'll be encouraged through God's word. We are shown how to do this. And our big idea for tonight is this. That true rest is only found in Jesus, and we must receive it from him daily. Before I keep going, I said tonight we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 4, and if the ushers right now, um, if you do not have a Bible with you, put your hands up and the ushers can give you one. Um, is that if you do not have a Bible at home, you can keep that. That's our gift to you. But as I, I said, the big idea for tonight is that true rest is only found in Jesus. We must receive it from him daily. True rest is only found in Jesus. And here's why. God knows better than we do what we need. He knows what we need. He knows what we really need when we want to rest. He knows what really is at the core of what we're seeking after. He knows that he's the only one that can provide a way for us to be with him, a way for us to rest, a way for us to do that. And if we are saved, it gives us a taste of what is to come. It gives us the chance to be able to embrace that rest that is there, that is offered to us because of the work of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Do you want to find true rest? Bow your heads with me as we spend time in prayer. Father, you are a 
glorious God, and you deserve all power and honor and praise. Lord, I just pray for anyone tonight coming here who is weary, for all of us coming here who, who are seeking rest, who are desiring rest, but don't know how to get it or don't know where it is found. Lord, that you would, I said, bring us in and give us the rest. That, Lord, you would just, in this time, work in this place. That you would use this time that we have to be able to build us all up in the ways you're already at work in our lives. I ask, Lord, right now that you would just guard the words I'm about to say. And may, Lord, above all, may I proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified as I preach tonight. In your name, amen. All right, so as I said before, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. But before we jump into the text, let's just get the context of what's going on. So in the book of Hebrews, this book was written to a group of Jewish Christians. These were Christians at this point that we're not exactly sure where they were. But what we do know is that they were experiencing a lot of persecution. They were experiencing persecution as they were trying to live out this new faith that they'd begun to believe in. And as a result of this persecution, they were being tempted to return to Judaism, return to what they had believed before, because for them, they saw this as an easier way out, rather than holding on to the truth that they now have in Jesus Christ, the truth of which they had given their lives to. And this leads us to the major theme of the book, and that is that it's Jesus overall. Throughout all of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews consistently goes, consistently points them to why Jesus is greater than the prophets, the leaders, laws, practices of their old ways. Even how his promises and provisions far surpass anything else that they can be offered. How Jesus is so much greater than everything that has come in their history. The history that they'd grown up in and known. How he is so much greater than all those things. including one of which is the chance they have to find rest. Which brings us to the, to the middle of chapter 3. So the middle of chapter 3 in the book of Hebrews starts, starts this idea of what it means to rest. And what the author is doing there here is bringing them back to the Exodus. He's reminding them of their own history, where they've come from before. And a big point, part of this, and the big part of reminding about the specific part of this, is that it's reminding them that they were now being saved from Egypt, from a master who did not care for them under Pharaoh, who did not offer rest, did not want them to rest. And they were saved so that they could go and serve the Lord, a master who loved them. Anyone who growing up in the churches hearing this letter would have recognized the story of Exodus even as it was being read in the book. They would have known all the details and connections. They've been taught this their whole lives. He's reminding them also, though, that in the period right afterwards, that because of their unbelief, many of those who were saved were unable to enter the rest that was promised. If you look at verses 18 and 19, it shows that as that God even says that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. See, these same people who got brought out of Egypt, the Israelites who were brought out, were the same ones who would go on to complain about being in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. The same ones who would seek to serve other gods. The same ones who would get right up to the edge of the promised land, 
go in to scout it out. Come back, coming back believing that they, that God couldn't do what he'd said he'd done all along. After he'd already done everything else, he couldn't do that. And as a result, that entire generation will get 40 years waiting in the desert. And out of all of them, only two would enter the promised land, Caleb and and Josiah. Only two of them would get the, the chance to enter the place that God had promised. This brings us into the beginning of chapter four. And it does this by bringing the context of this promise, this promise of rest and this promise of salvation to the audience. The author is telling them that the offer of rest and the ability to reject it are still available to them just as it is still available to us today. He's reminding them God has an offer of salvation for his people, for anyone who would trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and their Savior. To be really clear, here's what the author is trying, the link the author is trying to make here, is that true rest is not found in the promised land. The true rest is in God's promised Son. The author is making the connection that true rest isn't found in the promised land that had been promised to Israel, although it pointed to him. It is found in Jesus. It's found in the Son who was promised. True rest is found in promised, not in promised lands. It's in Jesus' promised Son. Ask yourself this question, where are you trying to find true rest tonight? Where are you seeking to find rest, true rest? To the promised land and everything that was promised to Israel, everything that they've been promised for years through all the kings and the prophets that have been building up to this. All the things that it would be fulfilled were all fulfilled in Jesus. So today, as I said, we're going to read chapter 4. We're going to see what, how this works out to And if you have your Bibles, please stand with me as we read God's word together, starting in verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of a day later on so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from here. All right, you can grab a seat. So as I said, our first point for tonight is that to enter into true rest, you must trust in Jesus alone for it. Jesus died to give you true rest. Will you trust him? Let's go back to verse 6. Here the author focuses on reminding the believers of the opportunity they have to enter God's rest and that it is still available to them today as them that day as it is for us today. But what we see clearly is that 
While there will be people who enter the rest, there will also be those who do not enter the rest because of their unbelief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's very interesting at this moment, he uses the phrase, good news here. If you have your pen, circle that phrase, good news, in your Bibles, because it's really important. The author is reminding them of what Christ has already done. He's drawing this link to what Christ has done on the cross, link to what's already come before. And it's also important because he's linking that this salvation of Christ is not something new, not something that's come out of nowhere, but something that has been around since the time of Israel. This is the same salvation that was promised to them that is promised to the church that this letter is being written to now. Whether through the prophets or Moses or even David, which he quotes here in verse 7 when he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of this day. And that good news is that Jesus is in coming to earth being both God and man. He's the one who lived the perfect life we could not live. Lived a life that free of sin. He was still willing to go and die on the cross for, for me. He was willing to die on the cross for you. He was willing to die on the cross for people. The same people who put him on that cross. Not only that, in doing so, he went and paid the penalty for sin. He paid the penalty that none of us would ever be able to pay, that we would never ever be able to do enough to earn. As well as three days after that, rose again. And in that moment, he didn't, he didn't just pay the penalty. He also then defeated sin itself, defeated death itself. Because of him, we no longer have to fear those things. Because of him, we don't have to carry that weight or fear of what that means. This is the good news. This is the person and work of Jesus that the author in Hebrews is calling us to look at. Is calling us to remember. This is the hope that we need to embrace. Let's be clear. He said, what's, what happens when we, there's disobedience is that the reality is this is where we, have to, we get to experience then the eternal death. We don't get to experience eternal life. We get to experience hell, and we have to, that's what the reality is. For anyone who does not put their faith or trust in Jesus, that is what the word says will happen. That is where the word says the penalty is. Yet for us who believe, we get to have eternal life with Jesus. We get to go, we get to be with our Savior for eternity. And this is the point, the author in this passage, in this moment, is urging a response from the, the, the listeners, the audience. He's urging them to respond to what he said. He's saying, we need, even now, to put our faith in Jesus. Not in other things, not in other promised lands, or not in other ourselves. We need to put our faith in him. We have to fight from preventing our hearts to be hardened, from living our lives the way we think is best, rather than trusting that Jesus is over us, that his offer of salvation is sufficient, and is the only thing we need. As I said, this is even the theme of the whole book of Jesus overall, that there is nothing else that we need to trust or believe in to be saved, that only Jesus was able to pay that, and Jesus is over all. 
And I said, this is something that also, for everyone who does believe, this goes into every aspect of our lives. It's not something that's just a one-time thing we believe. It's something that impacts everything we are and everything we say. Which is why we really do need, in this moment, to take him at his word. Take him what he says, says and believe that it is true. Because right now what it's saying is that only true rest, the trust we truly long for, is only going to come from one place. And it's going to come from the work of Jesus, what he's done. Reminder that we are no longer the same person. You are no longer the same person. If your faith is in Jesus, because we were crucified with him, because our, the, your sins have been paid for and covered, so when we read to enter his rest, we need to take him at his word because that is part of what he is offering to us. And if we can just be kind of honest here, our culture right now is not necessarily the most helpful in this regard. What is being promoted, especially when you think about rest, what do they say we need to rest? Well, to live for that vacation. Well, to live for the time where you can just have peace, not worry about what's coming next. Live for that nap. Live for the few hours a day that you get to go and do whatever you want to rest, whatever you think you're going to need the most. Whether that's a hobby, food, relaxation, entertainment, name it. There's so many things that we think that will give us the rest we truly long for. So many things, and while none of them are bad in and of themselves, they are not what we truly need. That is not where we're going to find true rest, what our hearts truly long for. So here's the question then, is that will you trust in Jesus or will you harden your heart? As I said before, if you do not have put your faith in Jesus right now, that question of will you trust in Jesus, this is a chance for you to respond Ask yourself, what are you truly longing for? What are you truly hoping is going to satisfy you and give you that rest that you truly seek and truly desire? How does that feel? How does, it, how does that thing driving you, how is that in control of your life? Knowing that Jesus will far more satisfy anything other in this world other, more than that, that Jesus will be so much greater than that. urge you in this moment, if you haven't accepted Jesus, give your life to him. Because he's there. He wants you to do this. He's not there. He is not up there to judge and then ask and say, okay, give me your list of all the works you've now done to be proved. No. He wants you to come to him because he's already paid for everything that you could have done. There's nothing you can do to earn what he's offering. It's a free gift. What it takes is repentance, recognizing how far we are away, how far separated we are from God because of our works, and trusting that he is great enough to cover those sins, great enough to pay that penalty for you so that you can come and be with him, so you can come and know him, and know in many ways the rest we truly long for. Just one part of the gift that he offers. Now, for anyone as us here as well who has given the life, who declares himself to be a follower of Jesus, there's another question we need to ask, and it's this. Ask yourself where you are seeking your rest. 
Where is it? What are you running to before you run to your Savior? What are you running to? What do you believe will give you the rest that you truly desire, you truly want? What promised land, what promised land are you seeking before you go seek the promised son that is offered? See, and I know this in my life is true, is it's so easy to be just want to go rest, front rest and just sit down and not have to do this. It is so much easier to go and watch entertainment or listen to music or go out with people or go eat food. There's so many easy things to do, but where in the moments when we truly need us, where do we go first? Or is it those things or is it our Savior? And we need to ask ourselves this question and we need to, to think through where that is. And if it's not Jesus, we need to repent and we need to turn and seek him in that so that we can grow and so we can learn that what it means to truly rest. So when that question is asked, what is it, how does, what does true rest really look like? We just talked about what we need. We talked we need to trust in Jesus, but what does true rest look like? And that'll bring us to our second point for the night, and it is this. To enter into true rest, you must follow Jesus' model for it. Jesus shows us how to rest. Will you follow his example? See, at the start of verse 8, the passage shifts back to the story of Israel. We've gone through the Exodus and Moses, and now we're coming in, and they've entered into this promised land. But unlike the first verses that is talking and referencing the Exodus, and that this one brings it to Joshua. Where it says, for Joshua, if Joshua had given them rest, you might ask, why not Moses? So remember at the beginning we talked about when they disobeyed, that only Caleb and Joshua would enter the promised land. So now put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite. Think back to what they're going through. See, upon entering this promised land, imagine seeing God do miracles. Eventually, you would have your whole land. You'd have the whole land to yourself. Everything that had been promised will have been given to you. You're seeing all this. But you also recognize that there's a lot more work still to be done. It's not over. This isn't the land of true rest, the less that we thought they would get. It's not that. That is not what the promised land was. And that's because while the promised land pointed to the fulfillment to come, the promised land was not what the fulfillment of that promise was. And it's the same for us today. Because the promise is still unfulfilled today. And you may be asking that question, well, haven't you said that we can get that true rest in Jesus? Haven't you already said that we will find that in Jesus? Well, that is true. We need to recognize, as we see in this verse, that there is a lot more to it. And it says, it says in verse 9, if we keep reading, actually verse 8 and 9, it says, for God would not have spoken of another day later on, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. To the author is what he's saying here, what he's showing is that while the Sabbath, while the rest we have, while the rest we can have in Jesus is available, the full rest, that true rest that we long for, will not come until Christ's return. 
It's only with his return where we'll be able to experience the rest that we truly long for. In Revelation 14, verse 13, it says this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. See, although we can experience an increasing taste of rest through salvation in Christ, our full rest will not happen until he returns. And just as we read in Revelation, this day is coming. And that our day, on that day, our longing is going to be fulfilled. So before we keep going, I just want everyone to put down your pens for a second. Just look up here, okay? Look up here. I want you to imagine this. Just imagine being in the presence of Jesus. Imagine being removed from the presence of sin and suffering, pain. Can you see it? There'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more hurt. No more restlessness. No more pain. There will be hope. Love. Be joy. We'll get to be with our King. That is the rest at the heart of what we long for. And that is what we will one day have. So how can we begin to experience this rest now? If the rest that is promised and modeled for us is like that, how can we experience that in our everyday life? How can we do that? And the answer to that is the, the text says here is Sabbath. For there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Just to give a little bit of a context on the Sabbath, the Sabbath was a day that had been commanded to the Israelites. It was their practice to take one day of the week and they would not work. And it's a practice that is still held today by by anyone in Judaism, as well as Israel itself. They do not work on the seventh day. But let's be clear that this is not the Sabbath that this passage is referring to. It's alluding to, but it is pointing to something else. If you want to understand that, look at Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is being um, called out by the Pharisees. He's being critiqued by them. They're looking at his disciples who are picking heads, grain off the wheat in the field. And they are saying, why are you letting them work? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? And then Jesus responds with this. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is declaring here is that, well, the Sabbath had become this legalistic day with rules set aside for what the Jews were allowed to do and not do on that day, how they were allowed to work, what they were allowed to do. Jesus is declaring that the Sabbath was not intended for that. The Sabbath, the rest that comes from the Sabbath 
That rest is there to be a joy for the people. That rest is meant to bring them, to help them know their Savior more. That is the Sabbath rest that's being talked about here. And we see this too in verse 10 when God says, Forever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. This idea of putting down your work, the idea of resting and being with God goes all the way to back what he modeled in creation when he didn't need to rest. After God created the world, he did not need to stop. He did not need to do that, but he did. Because he thought it was good. Because he knew it was good. And he gave us the example. So if God thinks that's a good thing for himself to do, why is it not also a good thing for us to do? To rest, to put down our work and rest. And I can already say there's probably a lot of excuses as we say these things and as we talk about Sabbath of, we're just so busy. There's so much to do. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. What will people think when I put down or are not available at any moment? Look up here. We are always going to have a restless heart. We are always going to have that in us unless we do as Psalm, Psalm 46 10, 10 says for us to do, and it says, be still and know that I am God. To truly know God and to truly rest in God, there are times that we just need to be still undistracted and we just need to abide with him abide with our savior that is what we need there's so many other things out there that can help us to rest but what we truly and desperately need is the time with our savior therefore the sabbath is a part of our faith that is god has given it to help us know him what the pastor is saying here is the sabbath is there to allow us to rest from our works we don't have to work to earn Anything. We don't have to work to earn the ability to rest. Jesus already paid for that. But we get to rest. We get to take that time to rest. And so Jesus modeled for us how to rest. Will you follow his example? And this text reflects two essential elements to what it means to experience Sabbath rest. The rest that Jesus modeled for us. The rest that we so desperately want and need. There's two ways this text shows and two examples we can see even modeled in the life of Jesus for how to rest, how to enter this rest. And the first is this, is that to follow Jesus' example, we must have an uncommon communion. To follow his example, we must have an uncommon communion. So how do we do that? Well, a great example of this is looking to what Jesus said to his disciples. Um, a lot of us will probably know this. We just finished this sermon series quite a, just a little while ago. But if you go to John fifteen four, it says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is an uncommon communion. We can't miss this. See, the true rest only comes, true rest is only possible 
and we are abiding with our Savior. The rest we want, the rest we know that every person deep down knows they need and are seeking only comes from that. This is why when we say Sabbath, it is not a time of extended time to watch entertainment or extended time to take off or extra vacation. That isn't what this is. That's not what the text is pointing to what this is. But this is a time to focus on God, to focus on who he is, what he's done for you, what he's continuing to do in your life and in others' lives. That's what a Sabbath rest in time is. You can't miss this. If we were to boil it down, when we talk about an uncommon communion, there's three ways in which we need to do this. Three ways that are essential to be able to abide with him. And the first is this, an undistracted time in the word. It's through God's word. It's through this book here that he put so much time into bringing to us, so much the history alone of how this ended up in our hands now. It's fascinating. And the faithful men and women who, were, who served to be able to give this to us now, that we are able to read this word. But what it means is on our Sabbath, we have a chance to dive into this. We have a chance to seek to get to know him, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it. Just journal out what's been going on, what he's been teaching you. To memorize it. That's what we get the chance to do. Abiding with him as his word works in you, his word comforts you, and word continues to build you up. So not just as an undistracted time in the word, we're to follow Jesus' example, we also have to have an undistracted time in prayer and worship. When was the last time that you paused and listened to what God might be telling you? The last time that you just sat seeking the Lord, seeking him to tell you what he has for you. When you don't have, when you're not seeking answer, when you're not so busy trying to figure it out, when was the last time? We live in a world that is, goes at such a fast pace that we need to fight for this. We need to fight for the chance we have this to, to sit in prayer, to pray to our Lord, as well as to worship him. We have to fight for that time because there are so many things in our, in our lives that are going to try to pull us away from us. And they're not all bad things. A lot of them are really good. But if we let them take that outsized importance in their life, they're going to pull us away from what we truly need. And that is the rest that comes from this, the rest that comes from having the time to spend with him in prayer and in worship. This is a way that we can just live out the truth, that we can trust him. Not just trust him, but with every one of those distractions that are going to try to pull away, we can trust that he's going to take care of all those things for us. We can trust that when we need to put either put the phone down or put those things away or walk away for a time so we can't be reached, we can trust that the world's not going to fall apart without him, without us. Because he's the one who's got us. That's what we can trust. That's why we need to have this undistracted time of prayer and worship. I can say this on a personal note. I said, even as Ray mentioned earlier, the first time that we met, one of the times of prayer that I remember most, most clearly in my head 
was a time where I had with this, a time of quiet, just listening to what God was telling me. And this was on the way home from that conference. And that time, and there's a number of others, but it was that time where I was just listening to what God had to say. That time of prayer on that way home, the time of worship as I was driving. That time of just knowing that God was there and being with me and feeling refreshed, feeling at peace. Even in that moment when I didn't expect it, just that, that chance to be there and do that. Ask yourself this this week, is there a chance that you have to go seek the Lord in, that, in this way? To seek to have that time of undistracted prayer and worship. Could be going on a prayer walk. Could be going and just meditating and journaling through a scripture, praying that back to him as you listen to what he has for you in that time. Could it even be just going and sharing the testimony with a friend about testifying to what God's done and praising him for what he's been doing in both of your lives and the lives of a group? Seek, as I said, as we seek to have an uncommon communion, it has to mean we have a time of undistracted prayer and worship. And finally, for an uncommon communion, we also have, have to have undistracted obedience to him. And as it is, sin is probably the biggest thing that's going to prevent us from finding true rest. The sin that, that I walk and have, the sin that you have, that is going to be the biggest roadblock that we will have to being able to enter into this rest. You can even look back at verse 6, and the reason where it says the reason why people are unable to enter the rest is because of disobedience. Disobedience to what he's calling us to do, how he's calling us to live the times that we try to live our own way, and to be honest, it just doesn't work. It is only when we repent of our sin, when we go and seek him and trust him that we are able to rest, we are able to find this rest. There's a quote, I said as I was preparing for this, Ray showed me this quote from Augustine that I'm really thankful for, and it says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We need to have an undistracting obedience to following Jesus if we are to enter the rest. And finally, if we are to follow Jesus' example, there's the uncommon communion of time, just undistracted time of the word and prayer, worship and obedience. But it also takes an uncommon commitment. <laughs> Let's be honest, there's never going to be a perfect time to stop and rest. That is just not the way it works. The world's never going to align for that. This is why if we desire to experience rest, we need to take it as a commitment that is not common. It is an uncommon commitment. And I can already anticipate a lot of the worries you're feeling. Because believe me, it is so easy to stand up here and say, we all just need to make sure we prioritize the times we have to daily spend with the Lord, daily to seek him as we seek to rest. We seek to find that rest in him it's so easy to say that. It is so much harder to live that out. But what we have to remember is what our priority is. And our priority is Christ. Our priority is that, as the whole theme of this book says, is that we, he is, Jesus is over all. We need to put him over all. We need to make sure that he stays in our life, in the place he is called to be, which is over all of our decisions, over all our relationships. 
that Jesus needs to be the priority in our life. We need to put him first in what we do. So as I said, we said earlier that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a forced day. It was a, not a forced day, but a day that they had to follow. It was a rule. It was a law. That is not the case for us today. There is no law saying we have to do this for 24 hours on a Sunday or a Saturday. But while it is something we need to commit to, because that's something we need, but we need to commit to it to be able to walk in seeking the rest. And it's not finding it in one day or a time or a place. It's that we need to be continually seeking the Lord to find our rest. Even in this passage, when it talks about Sabbath and it talks about resting, what it is talking I said, remember, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. That's what this book is pointing to. What it's saying is that Jesus is our true rest more than the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is there for us, but Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's the key. When we seek to rest, we need to make sure we're seeking to have that commitment to seeking after Jesus, to seek to have that uncommon communion with him. So answer this question, are you willing to put down the work? Are you willing to put down the work and trust that abiding with Jesus will give you the rest you long for? Are you willing to do that? To daily come to him, to seek him, whether that's in the morning or the evenings or different times throughout the day, are you willing to seek after your savior to rest, to find rest? So there remains a Sabbath rest, not as a rule or command, but as a gift God has been promising since the beginning. A gift he's offering to us still. And said, the thing is, God, remember, God cares about you so much. He wants you to stop. He wants you to put down your work and be with him. He wants you to come to him. He wants to take your burdens and give you rest, as we said at the start of the sermon. That's what he's seeking to do. Remember that true rest is only found in Jesus. We must receive it from him daily. That is the big idea of this text. So the first point was that we can only trust in Jesus alone for it. He is the only thing that can give us this true rest. And the second point, which is that we have to follow Jesus' model for it. Follow him in seeking the Lord through his word, through prayer, through worship obedience, and a commitment to seeking him at all times, seeking to put him first at all times. I'm going to close. I want to leave us with the end of a prayer from a book called The Valley of Visions, which if you have not heard of it, is a collection of prayers from the Puritans. And this prayer specifically was mistitled The Sabbath. And it was a prayer meant for this day, meant for the Sabbath, a Sabbath day. I just love how the prayer finishes off what it points us to, what it points us to, what we should really be trying to seek as we rest, as we seek to find that rest. And it says this, flood my mind with peace beyond understanding. May my meditations be sweet, my acts of worship, life, liberty, joy, my food, the precious word, my defense, the shield of faith. I I love this last line. And may my heart be more knit. And may my heart be more knit to Jesus. May my heart be more knit to 
to Jesus. May that be the cry of all of us as we seek to rest, that we be closer to him. Bow your heads with me as I close in prayer. Father, right now, I just once again pray for all of us who are in this room right now that are tired, who are weary, who life has just been difficult. But you would help us to seek you, to seek the rest we truly want, the rest we truly need, that you would help us to grow and to seek after you. And Lord, we just pray for this right now, that you would just continue to pour out your joy and satisfaction when we do this, when we come to you. That this week, those who would need rest would experience what, what, they, what you offer, what you promise, Lord. And that you would just do a mighty work as we seek to grow to you, as we seek to cling to you, Lord. Help this church to do that, Lord. Help this church to become a church that is known as a people that rest in Jesus and seek Jesus, that are more knit to Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Let's stand together.